I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my joy to serve you in the word. Uh, Restoration Church is a collection of deeply flawed, yes, deeply flawed, yet gloriously saved sinners. So uh, we're glad that you're with us today. Let me pray for us and we'll dive right into the book of Proverbs. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you are a God that is not silent. You have spoken to us that we might know what justice is and isn't. Oh God, orient us to it this morning. And in particular, help us to see Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Frederick Douglass. Harriet Tubman, Emmett Till, Nelson Mandela, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Lucretia Mott, Jane Roe of Roe versus Wade. The Lakota, Cherokee, Navajo, and Cheyenne Indians. All of these names are familiar to us because they represent grievous injustices. As do the names of places like Auschwitz, Japanese internment camps, Bethel Baptist Church, Andersonville Prison. You can also think of words or phrases like the three-fifths compromise, the lynching tree, Jim Crow, redlining, the Trail of Tears, the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, the Chinese Exclusion Act. All of these things conjure up images of grievous injustices. Or we could even just think about our own personal lives, couldn't we? How someone abused us, took advantage of us, when someone stole from us. Someone lied to us. Someone uh, took advantage of us. Someone abused us. Or somebody thought less of us because of some aspect of our person. Friends, the reality is we live in a cruel world that is full of injustices all over the place. We can also think about not only the injustices of the world, we could also think about the justices of the world as we think about these things. The reality is everybody on planet Earth, everyone, one of the universal aspects of our human experience is everybody is calling out for justice. And thankfully, we've seen justice, haven't we? There are throngs of stories of justice served. We can think about the Emancipation Proclamation, followed by the 13th, 14th and 15th Amendments, as well as the Civil Rights Act. We can think about the, the work of William Wilberforce and Thomas Clarkson and Alada Equiano to bring down the slave trade in England. Or we can even think about how it is now a crime in Germany to illegally display swastikas, how German students are now taught uh, and educated about the evils of the Holocaust and the Nazi era. Or we can even think about the most recent decision in our own nation by the Supreme Court to roll back the evil decision on abortion. Or again, just more personally, some of us can recount the ways that justice have been served to us. How that friend, that neighbor, that spouse, that family member came to you and confessed their wrong to you and asked for your forgiveness. We've all experienced injustices and we've all experienced justices, small and great. And more work is left to be done. That brings us to our subject today in our final sermon on the book of Proverbs. Now this series, if you're, if you're new here, this is a little bit different for us. We typically work through books of the Bible. We tell you just to open it up and we walk right through it. Proverbs is a little different. What we've been doing is just grabbing themes throughout the book of Proverbs. So a little bit more easier. If you lose track of the many verses that I'm going to give you, come and take my notes. And if somebody else takes it, I'm happy to give you the rest of those verses because there will be a lot. But what we'll see this morning is that justice is something that is near to the heart of God. Therefore, justice must be near to the heart of his people. And we're not talking about justice because it's politically popular or because it's personally interesting, though the, both of these might be the case. We're talking about it because God cares about justice, and it's clear that he cares about it by just a cursory reading of the word. And so therefore, as we consider in Proverbs being a people of wisdom, a people of virtue, 
Let us then joyfully apply God's truth for life in the realm of justice. And we'll do that this morning by asking and answering five questions. Here's the first, most basic. What is justice? And by implication, what is injustice? What is justice? We're looking at the very beginning of Proverbs. We're reminded why Proverbs was written. Right, it is a book in the Old Testament. That is, if you're not familiar with the Bible, right, this is a book in the Old Testament. It's anticipating the arrival of Christ. Uh, and so, therefore, it's uh, a book, as we read, a book by King Solomon written to his son to help him navigate life in the covenant. And we read at the very beginning of Proverbs, Proverbs 1, verse 2 and 3, it says that it's written, why? Quote, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. And so at the heart of the book of Proverbs is to take wisdom and then apply it to justice. That's what we read. So the first thing we learn about justice is, is that it is wisdom, right? It is God's truth correctly applied for life. But we also read, that's the beginning of Proverbs. We also read at the end of Proverbs this, Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. It says there, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And there, friends, we get what justice really looks like, what it is and what it does. It's endeavoring to judge righteously, to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. In other words, justice is giving people what they are due as human beings created in the image of God. Let me say that again. Justice is giving people what they are due as human beings created in the image of God. God, we know, made male and female in the image of God. Uh, And so there is not one that is more important than the other. All human beings have dignity in the eyes of God. Male and female, rich or poor, black or white. Since every human being is made in God's image, they therefore deserve then equal treatment. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 2.11, that God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. Therefore, justice is giving every human being what they are due as image bears, the fullness of dignity. And so that means from the child in the womb to the elderly in the hospital, every human being deserves justice. They all deserve what they are due, equal treatment as human beings, no partiality. And so that's what justice is. And so consequently, since this is what justice is, injustice, right, is pretty fairly easily seen, right? It is partiality as opposed to no partiality. Injustice is partiality or unequal treatment of some persons such that the unequal people are not given their full dignity as human beings. Now, to be sure, justice and injustice defined this way does not mean that there will always be equal outcomes. But justice defined does endeavor to give equal treatment to human beings as image bearers. So, for instance, a child should be treated with the fullness of dignity. They should receive what they are due. But given their youth and their ignorance, they should not be given a driver's license to drive around. Right? But all human beings should receive justice. That is what they're due. So therefore, since the poor, the widow, and the orphan are so often and so easily cast aside as something below the full dignity of humanity, the Lord then regularly calls for justice to them to give them what they are due as human beings created in the image of God. That's the first question. Second question. Well, where does justice come from? Where does justice come from? Now, guys, this is a critical question, super important question to answer. The longing for justice is as universal as death and taxes, right? And yet few people slow down to ask this question of where justice comes from. And it's vital that we do. And the reason why it's vital is because justice does not just exist in a vacuum. It is not the random assortment of socially constructed ideas as evidenced by the two-year-old who, when their toy is stolen, they scream out. Right? Morality is a basic building block to human DNA. 
Just try to go one day this week. Try to go one hour this week without saying that something should or shouldn't happen. Or something is right or wrong or good or bad. We can't do it. It's just part of the human experience. We all do it. And so the question is, what is our morality? What is our justice based upon? Wherein we then infer good or bad or right or wrong. And so defining justice as giving people what they are due has tons of moral baggage. So it demands that it be fleshed out. Most especially that last word, do, what they are due. So I've already said it's they're do it because they're created in the image of God. But friend, listen, think about this. If there is no God, then they are do nothing. If there is no God, things sort of are as they are. They're naturally created. Well, then murder, lying, cheating, right? These things just are. If God doesn't exist, there is no need for justice because things simply are. There's no inherent worth to any of these things. No rights to protect if things simply are. In other words, justice and your desire for it would seem to be a strong indicator for the reality of a justice holder. And secondly, you say, okay, Nathan, yeah, sure, maybe, right? Maybe God's some sort of higher power. I'm good with that. But even, friend, if that's you, you're going to have to define what that higher power is. You're going to have to be clear about that higher power. You can't build sandcastles on clouds. You can only build sandcastles on something that is fixed, something is firm and fixed. I love this quote. I think C.S. Lewis really gets at this in addressing those that try to have right or wrong, morality, justice, without a God. C.S. Lewis says in his book, Abolition of Man, quote, in a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chests and expect of them virtue. We castrate and then tell the castrated to be fruitful. And so, friends, since there is a universal call for justice that demands we have a universal rule by which to apply that justice to, friend, the atheist or the kind of spiritual but not religious, if that's you, friend, I'm glad you're here, but you're going to have to think these things through a bit more. Because these things have to be clearly defined in order for you to deem something as just or unjust. But for the Christian, our answer is clear, and we offer it with great confidence. Justice comes from the God of the Bible. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. We read there, For the Lord, notice the specificity, by the way, that Lord in all caps is the covenant name of God. That's Yahweh, I am. This is the covenant name given to God's people. For the Lord, for Yahweh gives wisdom. This is not just the general God. This is a specific God. For the Lord gives. He's the one that gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the path of justice. And watching over the way of the saints. Or we can read in Proverbs 29, verse 26. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. So he gets it from the Lord because the Lord is not only the sovereign, but he's the one that defines the good, the right, and the true. Because he is its source. God is its source. So we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, for instance, in Genesis chapter one, verse one, right? First verse, first of the Bible in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then at the end of that chapter one, verse 31, God looks at this and calls it very good. How is he able to say that it's very good? Because he defines what's good, because he is goodness in and of himself. He was able to deem what was good, not only because he made it, because he was and is the definition of the good. He's the standard. Thus the comet in Proverbs fourteen thirty one. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. So the Lord is the source of wisdom and justice. We read in Psalm eighty nine verse fourteen Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne in reference to the Lord. Deuteronomy thirty two four that the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are what? Justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. 
And so where does justice come from? Well, it comes from the God of justice revealed to us in his word because he is the source and the standard of the good, the right and the true. And conversely, to desire justice and not have a clearly defined God is to base that good, that right, that true upon something that is unknown, unseen and always moving. It is to play the part of a fool, which is what Psalm 14.1 says. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And I want you to notice in that exact same verse, you'll see this, right? Notice the relationship to no God to injustice. They are corrupt. The one that says that there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who do good. I can remember having a conversation with a friend uh, here in our neighborhood where we were talking about this notion of a universal standard, a universal God with a universal standard that can be known. And he was disagreeing with me, which was fine to do. We were having a good conversation. And so I said to him, I said, well, friend, how about I just slap you in the face, go home and burn your house down? And he, of course, rightly said, no, I would not like that. Well, I said, well, why? Based upon what? How is it you know? If there is no God and we're all just kind of living out our own truth, why can't I do whatever I please? Why can't I do my truth? And just, I don't like you right now and I'm going to go burn your house down. Well, of course, right? He didn't like, of course, he shouldn't have liked that. So if there is a God and the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice and goodness, if he is the source and standard of justice and he has made us in his image to know him and to show him, therefore, we could understand, therefore, what justice is and where it comes from so that we might then live it out on the earth. And at the same time, this also, by the way, friends, explains why there's this universal call for justice. No matter where you go on planet Earth, there's a place for people calling for it. Third question. We've said what it is, where it comes from. Third, well, what's the motive of it? What's the motive of justice? And even by implication, what's the motive of injustice? And this is an important point, guys, not only because Proverbs talks about it, but because it's important to know why we do justice. Or it might be helpful to know why we don't do justice. So just think about it. If you have two soldiers and one soldier knows exactly what he's fighting for and why. And the other one doesn't have any idea why he's fighting. Which do you think will be the better soldier? Of course, the one that knows what he's doing and why he's doing it. Likewise, the more that we know what justice is, where it comes from, and why we do it, the more we can be motivated to get out there ourselves and do justice. And so what is the motive for the Christian in the work of justice? Take a look at Proverbs twenty-one fifteen. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Simple answer. What's the joy of the Christian in doing justice? Joy. That's why we do what we do. Joy. Notice that passage does not say when justice is done, it is an obligation to the righteous. It's not what it says. It's a joy to the righteous. So we all do what we love and what we love gives us joy. And justice's motive is joy. But joy in what? Well, joy in what Jesus says is the chief love of us all. God, right? Jesus is asked, what's the greatest to, What's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. And so, if we are truly in Christ, we not only tolerate the Lord and sort of give him a nod every now and again. We love the Lord, right? We love the Lord. He's our life. He's our peace. He's our identity. He's our home. He's our refuge. He's our fortress. He's our salvation. He's our shepherd. Therefore, he is our joy, right? We do justice not merely out of obligation, but out of joy, because by participating in the work of justice, we are participating in the work of magnifying the infinite worth of Christ. He uses, this is amazing, he uses our feeble and weak hands, heads, and hearts to press out his justice into the earth. And as it goes out, Christ is glorified and we as his people are glad. We are joyful for his name to be known. So think about it this way. If someone kidnapped my kids, I would care, by the way, if they were kidnapped. If they were kidnapped... 
We would need to do justice, right? That was an injustice to kidnap my kids. I need to go and get them. Why? Well, because I'm obligated. No, right? I'm not like, well, I guess I'll go get my kids. I guess I have to. I'm, I'm their dads, right? No, I go get them because I love my kids, right? That's why I'm trying to get them. I'm trying to do justice in that sense. And so it is with the Christian whose love is chiefly of the Lord. The more that we grow to know and enjoy, the more that we know to see and to savor Christ who is our life, the more that we are then jealous for his glory. And the more that we are jealous for his glory, the more that we hate that which denies him and we love that which affirms the truth about him, right? So that's why we do it. And so therefore, while the work of justice may be hard, it is no burden to do justice. Because to do justice is to promote our joy in Christ. But also, we not only do justice for our joy in the glory of Christ, we, we do justice because we love our neighbors, right? That's second command. We love our fellow human beings that are created in the image of God, even and especially our enemies. If they are experiencing injustice, we ought to care because God cares about all injustice. And why does God care about all injustice? Because injustice lies about who he is and the world that he made. So think about, just as an example, think about this little bit of wisdom from Proverbs thirteen twenty three. It says there that the fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Now, right there, we get an insight as to what injustice's motive is, don't we? Oftentimes, in the book of Proverbs, you'll see that injustice is motivated by greed or by the desire for power or even sexual immorality or pride. In other words, we see injustice is motivated by some form of selfishness, self-glory, joy in whatever I want. But the Christian is the opposite. We ought to be the opposite. We are motivated by the glory of Christ and the good of our neighbor. Y'all hear me say this a lot, right? The glory of Christ and the good of our neighbor. What am I not pointing at right now? Me, right? This is how we are to be oriented. So when we see the poor, for instance, being taken advantage of, again, not being treated with the equalness of dignity, oftentimes these poor are being taken advantage of by the rich and the powerful. It should then grieve us because it lies about the way that Christ uses his power. Not to mention it tramples on the dignity of the poor's humanity that is meant to image God, which therefore is then showing partiality. Therefore, we as Christians ought to hate when the poor, the orphan and the widow or the marginalized experience injustice because it lies about God and it tramples upon the experience of a human being created to image God. Now, friends, I don't know what you think about protest marches. We live in a city where there's a lot of them. In my human experience, I've walked in two. I've marched in two. I've I've walked in the March for Life to protest abortion, and I've walked in the March for Racial Injustice. And in both of those, my motive, I pray, was the glory of Christ and the good of my neighbor. I didn't participate in those things because that's what my tribe told me to do. I didn't participate in those things because it was kind of culturally appropriate or popular or because I I thought that it might make me feel better about myself. That's not why I did it. No, I did it because Christ rescued me from my sin and he reconciled me back to himself to know him and enjoy him. And he's offering that salvation to all tribes, tongues and nations. And therefore, my motive was to then Reflect those new hungers and thirsts that God has given me. Hungers and thirsts for righteousness. That's why I did it. Motivated by the glory of Christ and the good of my neighbor. I don't know that marches accomplish much. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But I only share this as a way of illustrating the motives of the Christian in the work of justice. We fight for justice because Christ deserves the glory of that justice and that of our neighbors. They deserve it. No matter who they might be, they deserve to receive their due as human beings, as opposed to the unjust that is motivated by just what they get out of it. But then the question may come, fourth question, how do we know what justice is and isn't? How do we know we're getting it right? Well, remember how Proverbs begins. Again, Proverbs 1.3. It's written, why? To receive instruction. Solomon is writing to his son, by extension coming to us, to receive instruction on wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. 
So we're all broken. Nathan Knight is broken. You know me for five minutes, you'll figure that out, right? Shoot, you know me for 60 seconds, you'll figure that out. We're all broken. We all have disordered loves and insights. Uh, And all of our kind of broken compasses can therefore then lead us to the wrong things in the wrong ways. Therefore, while we do have that, we all, all of humanity has that basic morality that doesn't mean that our value system is right because our compasses are broken. We do have, we, we are pointing to a direction. We are pointing to a morality, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's pointing to the right. We might feel that this is right and that's wrong, but is it? We might call something just that is unjust or vice versa. We might value something that is unjust when it's actually just. Therefore, friends, we need instruction in righteousness and justice and equity. That's why Proverbs of one book in the Bible is here to give us instruction. It is the kindness of the Lord that he gives us his word. As I prayed at the beginning, he's not a God that's silent. Aren't you glad that God didn't say, all right, there, go out and do justice and kind of say, all right, y'all figure it out, right? That's not what he does. God is not a God that is silent. He has spoken to us in those two books, one in creation, that book of creation and the book of the Bible. In the created order, we see something of the power and the glory of God. We call that as Christians, general revelation. It's generally revealed to all of humanity. That's something that everybody experiences from the basic sense of morality in us to that transcendent beauty of the sunset on the beach when you're lifted up, right? Your senses are lifted up to the glory of a thoroughbred racehorse, right? We can know something about all humanity can know something about the power and the worth of our creator in creation. But secondly, though, we need that special revelation in God's word to know more precisely what is at the heart of God when it comes to justice. More precisely, we need, as Proverbs has been teaching us, right? We need to get wisdom, get instruction, get discernment, get knowledge about justice from the word because he is the source and the standard of justice. And I want you to notice, guys, in Proverbs, this relationship between knowledge and justice and the lack thereof. Watch this. Proverbs 29, 7. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Proverbs 28, 5. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. And where is it? How is it they understand it completely? Well, if you were to look right back at the very next, the verse preceding that verse in Proverbs 28, 4, it gives us where they are understanding it completely. Proverbs 24 says, those who forsake the law, not just a law, the law, specific law, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. So God created us in his image. We can know him and the way in which we can know who God is and what justice is, is through something in creation, but more specifically in his word, the law, as it says there in Proverbs 28. And the most just man to ever walk the face of the earth was, of course, Jesus Christ. And Jesus was very clear that he came not to abolish the law, but fulfill it. In other words, Jesus loved the law. Jesus taught the law. You go read one page in the one of the Gospels, you're going to see this. Jesus loves the Bible. He's teaching the Bible. He's standing for the Bible. And he sees the Bible as a way in which to... Promote justice, right? He, he even understands that he's fulfilling that word. He most certainly did see the Bible as a kind of binding element. But it was a binding element that was meant to be for our freedom and for our joy. That we might walk in the paths of righteousness. And you see this notion of even the Bible as some kind of standard of righteousness. And not, of course, that this entity has gotten it right. Most certainly haven't. But nevertheless, you get around to the Supreme Court building and you'll see these pictures of Moses in the Bible. Around. Therefore, friends, we cannot be ignorant and we cannot be ignorant of what justice is precisely. We cannot be ignorant and we cannot just take what the world tells us is right and wrong. We can't just sort of take it in. We must go to the word. We must study it. We must hear it. We must hear it taught. We must hear it preached. And most of you know that you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the time Nathan tells us to go read our Bibles. But are you doing it? Are you doing it? 
Are you able to point to something in God's revealed will in order to bring you to the conclusion that this thing is right or wrong or good or bad? Are you able to do that? Or do you just simply assume it? The problem with assuming something is good or bad or right or wrong or just or unjust is I like to remind us often. The problem is not only that we are broken, but we are being discipled by the world in a thousand different ways. Every day, you and I, me, you, we're all being discipled in various ways. And oftentimes we're being discipled without even knowing it. From the social media feeds we get, from the TV shows, the movies, whatever. uh, All these various things that we participate in. Cable news, YouTube, our schools, whatever. We're all being discipled in various ways. The world is telling us in so many different ways, this is just and that's unjust. This is right, that's wrong. The world is telling us that. And sometimes the world gets it right. And sometimes they get it wrong. But remember, whatever it is they're trying to help us understand, they're not basing it, they're not evaluating where the source of justice comes from and then giving a teaching and instruction based upon that. They aren't motivated, in other words, by the joy of the Lord. But oftentimes, their own glory to tell you what they want you to think is right or wrong or good or bad. Therefore, guys, just the call is simple, right? Don't just go along with the flow. Don't assume. Get wisdom in order to then do what is actual justice. That means you're going to have to study the word, this word. Secondly, you're going to have to pray in order to know what justice is in it. You're going to need to pray. I love that line from Lincoln's second inaugural address where he is addressing a justice issue. And he says, quote, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right. There's the justice. But listen to what he says next. Charity for all, firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive on to finish the work we are in. At the beginning of that second inaugural, he's talking about the fact that both north and south are both calling upon the same God. So he recognizes that, like, all right, something's wrong here. We got to be able to not just point at a Bible verse. We got to make sure go to God and ask him to reveal it, tell us to see the right and be firm in it. And the way that we see the right is not only by studying the word. The reality is Nathan Knight might be wrong in his study. We need to listen to the word with prayer. As the spirit testifies to our spirit that this is what is right or that is what is wrong. And guys, just think about this. I could, we could line up here. How many times have you thought that something was right and you studied and you prayed and you realized you were actually wrong? Or vice versa. Right. I'm, I'm, I trust that's happened to you. Right. You're like, Lord, help me to see what I should do here. And right, you did something. And the Lord just showed you. No, 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 no. Don't go that way. Go this way. Right. We can all testify to that reality. But if not, if you can't testify to the fact that God has changed the way that you've seen something. And one of the questions I get a lot is, all right, Nathan, as you've long uh, as long as you've been following Jesus, tell me some things that you've been wrong about maybe 20 years ago or five years ago. We should all be able to point to that, because if we can't then we're just going to the Bible as a way of validating ourselves. But we need to understand the way of the gospel. Psalm 119, verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your law. So we need the Lord to give us eyes to see justice. We need more than just imperfect intellects, right? We, We need our intellects formed, but we need God to give us eyes to see it. We need the power of God working through the word in order to illuminate the truth to us, to be corrected. And you'll notice, by the way, you heard Chris this morning. Every Sunday morning, what do we do? We are regularly praying for matters of justice. God, help us to do this. You heard, you heard even Chris pray. God, forgive us for the ways that we've done wrong this week. Help us to see it this way and not that way. We pray every single week here in our gatherings. The Sunday night prayer gathering, first Sunday of the month. We come together. We're regularly praying for matters of justice to see it correctly. Uh, in our community groups, I trust that's happening. In your families, I trust that's happening. In your discipling relations, I trust that's happening. In your own personal life, I trust you're praying and asking God to help you see accurately third thing we need to do in order to know what justice is and isn't is we need to seek the collective wisdom of the saints. And here I'll just insert my sermon from a couple weeks ago about seeking correction. Let me go ahead and preach that again. Just kidding. 
No, Proverbs has a ton to say about not being a law to ourselves, but seeking correction. We, not, we need to be people that are seeking correction, seeking wisdom from others, most especially about what is just. Guys, this is one of the reasons you have pastors. This is one of the reasons. I still will never for the life of me understand. I get emails. This happens. This is not an uncommon email. Hey, Nathan, sorry to bother you, but can you answer this question? You're the whole reason I have a job. Right? That's my job is to help you. Right? Well, you're not bothering me. You're my job. I love, it's my joy to serve you. Right? We're here to try to help you think about this stuff. Does that mean that we have all the right answers? Of course not. Right? That's one of the reasons we have a plurality of elders. So that Chris can say, Nathan, you got that wrong in the sermon, bro. You need to repent and tell him you're wrong. Right? This is one of the reasons why you guys give me a book allowance. You go into my office. Or somebody was in there this week. They're like, man, there's a lot of books in here. Right? Yes, I'm reading this stuff. I have time. I get paid in part to read, right? To try to understand, right? What's, what's the Lord say about this? What are other people are saying? What is, what is history? What did they say? What did Christians say back in the 200s about this and the 300s about this? What's going on? What does the Bible say? How, how, help me understand. I told my other brothers and sisters in Christ, hey guys, how are you thinking about this? We need to seek wisdom. Need to get correction counsel. So, Don't just take in what you hear. Get knowledge on justice by seeking out the word, the prayer, and wise counsel in the church. Remembering the source is the Lord himself. And so now we're ready for the final question. The one probably you're like, Nathan, you got to get to this one. Fifth and final question. How do we do justice? All right, how do we do this? We know what justice is and by implication what injustice is. Justice is giving all human beings their due as image bearers, no partiality. We know where it comes from. It comes from the Lord who is just. He's the source. We know what should be the motive of uh, justice. That is joy, joy in the glory of Christ and the good of our neighbor. And we know where to get knowledge about what justice is through the word, through prayer, through wise counsel. So how do we do it? Well, first, let me just validate the question. Doing justice is not optional for the Christian. This is not like, well, that's a thing for the kind of, you know, those justice warrior guys, right? Sort of like evangelism. Like, well, you know, that evangelism is for those really gifted evangelists. No, no, no. This is not optional. This is all of us are called to this. I'll give you one. I could give you a hundred. I'll give you one verse. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to, y'all say it with me, do justice. Yeah. To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. And we see that in Christ himself, right? We remember when he did justice in the teaching of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Y'all remember that story, right? Remember the, the dude gets beat up, he's dying, he's lying on the side of the road. And like the two pastor guys, the Nathan Knights of the world walk right by him. Right? Doing nothing. I got to go off and preach the Bible, man. And Jesus goes, talks about the good Samaritan, the one that was outside the camp, as it were, the bad guy. He comes and helps the guy. Jesus tells all of that to say that everybody's our neighbor. So where we need to see, Jesus shows us. He shows us the need to do justice. He told us to make disciples and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's Doing justice. James, in the book of James, we read that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So doing justice is not just for the justice warrior types in our midst. It's for anyone that has been born again by the new and living hope of Christ. And by by extension, I would even say it's just for humanity. And so, as we've already said, we should want to do this work. It's our love for Christ, the neighbor. But more specifically, how do we do this? Three specific ways. Here's the first. You start with your family. You start with your family. You've got to do justice first in your family. One verse, 1 Timothy 5, 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So if you're out there caring for orphans and widows and neglecting house and home, you do not reflect the priorities of the kingdom. Now, I want to be clear. That doesn't mean there's an either or here. It's just reflecting the priority. Begin treating your family members joyfully, justly, showing them what they are due. But second, for those of us in Christ, our second priority is to do justice in the church right here. 
One verse on that, Galatians 6.10. So then, Paul says, as we have opportunity, let us do good. We might say there, let us do justice. Let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith, those who are of the church. This is a similar point to the last one, guys. If we care for the oppressed and then neglect the very ones that Christ died to gain, if we neglect Jesus' wife, the bride, the church, well, we then neglect the very community that's meant to foster justice. And we then, again, lie about God. We lie about heaven by by the way that we neglect God's family. And so I I offer you, in terms of counsel to the church, uh, some counsel that's not my own that I agree with, uh, the great um, African-American civil rights advocate, John Perkins. John Perkins, a man that experienced tremendous injustices, he gives this counsel for the work of justice to Christians in the church. He says, first, he says, we start with God. Quote, we align ourselves with his purpose, his will, his mission to let justice roll down. Then he says, second, We be one in Christ. Christian, he says, quote, Christian brothers, sisters, black, white, brown, rich, poor. We are family. We are one blood. Remember Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. We start with God. We be one in Christ. Third, we preach the gospel. Perkins says, quote, Christ alone can break down the barriers of prejudice and hate that we all struggle with. Fourth, he says, teach the truth. Quote, Without truth, he says, there can be no justice. And what is the ultimate standard of truth? It is not our feelings, he says. It is not popular opinion. It is not what presidents and politicians say. God's word is the standard of truth. And so, guys, the way that we, right here, the way that we teach and we preach and we pray, by the way that we as a church take in members saying, yeah, we think you're a Christian, the way that we put out members, no, we don't think you're you're taking the name of Christ, but you're not acting like a Christian. By the way we do that, by the way that we love one another, Not showing partiality. We therefore do justice. This is something the church, of course, has failed at miserably throughout history. But this is our calling. But the third thing we do, of course, care for our family, church. Third, we do justice to our neighbors. And there's a thousand ways that this can happen, right? There's no one way of doing this. And we would hope that all of us would have the same expectations and have the same loves and the same desires to do justice for all the things that we care about. But the reality is that's not the case, right? We are limited by time. We're limited by knowledge. We're limited by geography. We're limited by size. We have 157 members in this church, right? We can't do everything. We're limited even by our own sanctification. If you're not a Christian and you're wondering about us, right? We understand, at least we ought to understand that we are not yet acting or thinking or loving like we ought to be. We're still growing up into who we are in Christ. So we simply can't do it all, but we must do something. From the way that we vote, reminding here that Romans 13 teaches us that justice, the sword of justice, has been given to the government to stole out justice. From the way that we vote to the organizations we support with our time and our money, we can and should do justice. And let me add here, some of you have jobs. I just want to thank God for you. Some of you have jobs. You've chosen to do justice by taking the job that you take. I thank God for you. Some of you volunteer time on your own time to go and do justice in various things. I thank God for you. But there are a few things the church is not trying to do everything. We are not trying to tell, trying to, you know, try to, organize centrally everything. But we do try to do a few things here at Restoration Church to try to give you a few lanes to walk the road of justice in if you don't know where to go. Three ways at our church we do that. First of which is DC 127. That's an organization that we volunteer with. We try to call people into. We financially support. We pray for. Right here in our city, they're trying to serve foster kids and their parents. So if you're interested in trying to do justice through foster kids and foster uh, and the parents of those kids, you can talk to Marcy about that. Marcy, will you raise your hand? Marcia, there she is. That's one way we try to do this. Another way we do here at Restoration Church, we try to, we work, we partner with something called Redeemer's House, which is helping men transition from prison back into normal life. To try to help them understand how to navigate it, give them some friends, help them walk that through. Matt Louie helps head that up. Matt, will you raise your hand? There's Matt, if you want to talk to him about that. 
And then, of course, you heard Chris pray for Christian legal aid, which provides legal support for the poor in need. Whitney runs that. Whitney, will you raise your hand? There's Whitney if you want to talk to her about that. You can, you, can you can participate, guys, in one of these things or none of them. But you've got to do something. Be participating, working. But let me lastly, finally, alert you to one place of doing justice that maybe you didn't think about. And that is the work of church planting. Now, before you roll your eyes, hear me out. 1 Timothy 3.15 says that the church is, quote, the pillar and the buttress of the truth. Not just a truth, the truth. The church is the pillar and the buttress of truth. And let me, let me just say again, the church has gotten this wrong one bazillion times. I've seen pictures of men and women in their street, in their church clothes, leaving church, going to a lynching. That is wicked. The church is not always getting this right. But therefore, that's the work of the church that she ought to be doing. That's what she, that's her mission is. So since injustice is built upon lies, lies about God, lies about man, and since the church is to not only preach the truth, but call people to, to live the truth by equipping the saints to do good, to do justice, therefore one of the best ways that we can do justice is by helping churches in communities all over the world, but especially in communities where justice needs to be done. We need to help support and plant churches in those communities which is every community, but especially those that need it the most. And so three churches, you'll notice in the life of our church, three churches that we partner with most closely. And I want you to think about this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. The first church that we, we planted, we started, and worked most closely with is right here across the street, down the road, about two miles. They're meeting right now, Iglesia Biblica Sublime Gracia. We started very consciously a Spanish-speaking church to serve the Latino peoples that are so often experiencing injustice. To serve them. And I could give you a thousand stories of ways that they've done that and we've participated in that. A second church that we support and work very closely with is a church about five miles from here. On the east side of town, Mercy of Christ Fellowship in Lincoln Heights. A 99% African American community that is riddled with injustices. And because they're there, I could give you a hundred ways in which they're pushing out the light of the truth and helping people. And the third church that we are supporting is that in northern Iraq. You heard... Uh, Chris pray for some of the people that they're ministering to, right? That church is there to try to reach Bedini Kurds and care for Bedini Kurds, a people who have no defined country or a, a, a government of their own meant to serve them. And also that church is not only trying to serve the Bedini Kurds, it's also trying to serve those Yazidis that you heard Chris pray for. 250,000 of them still displaced and living in harsh conditions because of what ISIS did wickedly to them nine years ago. They're in the middle of that, trying to help that. There's three churches. So when we financially support, when we go on trips, when we prayerfully call people to go and live there, we support the work of justice. Since those churches, churches are actively serving their people in word and in deed. They're serving, they're teaching the truth, and they're trying to embody the truth by being the hands and feet of Christ in the power of the gospel. Churches are uniquely able to serve the whole person. The government can't do that. Churches are uniquely able to serve the whole person, mind, body, spirit. Therefore, that is one of the many reasons we at this church put an emphasis on helping churches begin and be sustained. Because in them, justice is done and injustice is put down. The work of the gospel in the gospel-centered churches, friends, is not the only way to do justice, to be sure. But it is a critical way to do it. Because the gospel that the church embodies reminds us of what justice is and where it comes from. I'm going to finish here. We defined at the beginning of the sermon that justice is giving people what they are due. Well, friends, there is no one of whom that is more true of than God himself. He deserves justice for all the ways that we have rebelled against him, for all the commands that we have broken, for all the ways that we have been indifferent to him, for all the ways that we've used him like an insurance policy, or a good luck charm. He deserves justice. He most certainly does not deserve the injustice of our own sin and rebellion. The ways that we lie about him. The ways that we're indifferent about him. If justice be served to all of us, which it ought to be, we would all, Nathan Knight included, deserve hell. Because of the ways that we have been unjust towards God. And how does God respond to that? 
We stand in the courtroom. There he is, the judge on the throne. We're standing there in front of him, guilty as charged. And what does God do but send us an advocate? Yes, a kind of lawyer. We have a few of those in this church. And he's not only an advocate, he's a friend. Jesus the Christ is an advocate and a friend for we guilty sinners. And when God the Father knows that we are unjust and we deserve punishment, the advocate, the friend, Jesus the Christ, son of the living God, stands in the gap for us and says, I'll take his punishment. I will do justice on his behalf. I will go to the cross and bear the penalty of Nathan Knight's sin. I will do justice for him. And I will do it willingly. The son does not go to the cross because he has to. He goes because he's an advocate and he's a friend that wants to do justice for his people. Christ willingly goes as an advocate on the cross to satisfy God's justice to us by taking it himself. And then declaring us that are sinners righteous. So we have two things that's true about me. Nathan Knight is an idiot. Nathan Knight is a sinner. Nathan Knight is wrong in so many ways. And yet, God has changed me. He's given me a new status, like the, like the peasant woman that marries the king. I have a new identity. Though she still thinks like a, a peasant, she is still royalty. So in the same way, the Christian, I, justice has been served to me in Christ on the cross. His righteousness has been transferred to me. I now have his name, his status, his hope, his future. So therefore, think about this. God can then be both just and the justifier of the one that believes, as Paul says in Romans 3. Just and justifier. How does God dwell with sinners? By giving us his son. And so therefore he maintains his justice. He maintains his righteousness. And yet is still able to declare sinners free by counting it in Christ. And so friend, maybe you this morning need to have justice done to you. Maybe you, this friend, this morning, friend, need to understand that you need the advocate, you need the friend of Christ to do justice for you and satisfy the penalty of your sin to God by trusting him, repenting and believing on him and living for his glory. Maybe that's you. And if that's you, come talk to us. And for those of you that have already done that, for those of you that have trusted in Christ, you've been declared just, you've been declared righteous. Therefore, what do we do? We go out and do it. We show graciously, joyfully what's been done to us. Friends, the gospel of grace and mercy is at the heart of the work of justice. And it is this God and this gospel that compels us then to go out and be salt and light to the world. Guys, this should be the one place that the person can come into and say, what's true, man? Can you tell me what's true? Just shift out all the mess all over the world. Can you just tell me what's true? This should be the one place. We should be the one place that are trying, imperfectly but trying, to do what is right. Forgiving each other when we get it wrong. Not trusting in ourselves to will ourselves to do the right, but trusting in God to empower us to do what is right for his glory and our neighbor's good. The church should be the one place that's happening. And so I pray that you're loving and forgiving each other as you love and forgive God, the God who forgave you in Christ and fulfilled his justice there and declared it to you in grace and mercy. So let's pray, give thanks to him and ask him to help us.